jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungy leaps and into the end zone for Dungy. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Powered for Dungy! Soaring through the air! High flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Oh, let's get it rolling here on a Friday on Orange Nation. Seth Goldberg with you. Stephen Fonte is down in Clemson. He'll join us at 1 o'clock. We'll uh, talk some SU. We'll keep him around. We'll do some picks before we dive into today's business with Tommy. The first hour is yours. 315-437-7644. Let's talk some SU football ahead of this game with Clemson. A reminder, as always, you can text us as well at 315-288-0644. And on Twitter, at ESPN Syracuse and at Seth Goldberg 17. Syracuse and Clemson tomorrow. Syracuse and Clemson in a big game at noon in Death Valley. A big stage, big opportunity a big chance here for the Orange in a game that could they go down and win? Sure, they could go down and win. But I don't give them a great shot. What this is, what this is is a stage. What this is is an opportunity. What this is is an empty page in the next chapter of the book. And I wanted to start here. Take a look around this week. Take a look around at how Syracuse is being covered this week. Stories that are coming out today. Story from David Hale on ESPN.com. Talking about Dino Babers, his victory speeches, how he wants to be more than that, how he's taking that next step forward. A story on The Athletic by Nicole Auerbach. Came up here, spoke with Eric Dungy, Dino Babers, you know, the cast and crew, about last year's game, what it means for this year. Keep your eyes out. For game day tomorrow morning. Because Jen Latta from ESPN was up here this week. Talking to Dino Babers. For a piece to run on game day. Syracuse is getting attention. Syracuse is turning some heads. Syracuse is making people pay attention to this program that they haven't had to pay attention to for the better part of the last 20 years. That's a big change. That's a big departure from where we were as a Syracuse football community. That is a big departure from where we were two years ago, three years ago. And just think about that for a second. Year three of the Dino Babers era. Year three. He's won games. He's won some big ones in the first two years, beating Virginia Tech, beating Clemson. And now he's gotten off to a 4-0 start and matched his win total in his first two years in just four weeks. 
He has a chance here to surpass his win total from each of the past two years by the end of September. And almost as importantly as that, and these two things go hand in hand, but almost as importantly as that, he has made Syracuse football relevant again. He has made Syracuse football relevant. No matter what happens tomorrow, win, lose, blowout, no matter what happens, Syracuse football is relevant. Syracuse football is on the map for the first time in I don't know how long. It's the first time that Syracuse is nationally relevant. And it's because of Dino Babers, it's because of this coaching staff. It's because they came in here and totally changed what Syracuse football has been for its entire history. Upended it. Turned it on its side. And that's what needed to be done. Things had to be changed, and Dino Babers came in and changed them. And Dino Babers has built a program that you can see the bones and you can see the structure of a winning program. Are they there yet? Maybe. Maybe not. I would lean towards not. But they're on their way. You can see the outline. You can see the structure. It's like when you drive past a building. And we're very familiar with this here, obviously. But you drive around in the summer months, and they're building something new. There's an addition going on to a house next door. And, like, the framing is going up. Right? Maybe the drywall isn't up yet. Maybe it's maybe it's not, like, closed off. But the framing is there. You can see how this thing is going to be built. And I think that that's where we're at with this program. They have built the frame. They've got the wood posts up. You can see the where, where the bedroom's going to be. You can see where the garage is going to be outlined. You can see how this whole thing would come together. And you can see what it lo- will look like when it does come together. And it's starting to. Maybe you got drywall up in part of it. You know, you're able to close off one room on the inside. Something like that. You can probably tell I know nothing about building houses. But that's not the point. The point is that you can start to see this coming together. You can start to see how this program will be built, how this program will be run, and how this program will be successful in the years to come. You can see that kind of growth here already. You can see how this is coming together. And I think that you're starting to get that recognition from the national media, the national fan. As I mentioned, David Hale, yes, he covers the ACC specifically. Yes, the ACC is down this year. And yeah, Syracuse might be one of the better teams in the ACC. But in previous years when Syracuse wasn't, in previous years when Syracuse was at the bottom, guess who wasn't getting covered, really, even by David? He wasn't doing features on Scott Schaefer. He wasn't doing features on Syracuse when they weren't winning. But now he came up here and he said, you know what? This program is more than just that that whose house, our house. This program is more than a Dino Babers victory speech. And you can see how things are starting to build and move forward. 
The Athletic. Young, obviously. New, of course. They weren't covering Syracuse last year. I don't think they had a single piece on the Orange all of last season. I was talking about this with someone last night. I don't think they had a piece about the Orange last year. The only thing that I saw from them was a a preview piece before the year, a state of the program. But they did that about everybody. They send somebody up this week who comes up, speaks to players, speaks to coaches, and puts out something about beating Clemson, albeit, but about this program. Game day. When's the last time that Syracuse was prominently featured in game day? And I know Dino Babers was a part of a game day feature. Really, the, the, the reasoning for it two years ago after his first speech against Virginia Tech. And I know Dino was like the reason for that piece and kind of the baseline for that piece, but that was really all-encompassing, right? That was, that was talking to a lot of coaches. That was talking to a lot of people around the country about some of these speeches. When's the last time Syracuse was really featured on college game day? On the football edition, not the basketball edition. On the football edition. Well, it would probably be that Greg Robinson piece. Right? What, nearly a decade ago? More than a decade ago? That Greg Robinson piece. How has Syracuse fallen so far? How have things gotten so bad? Jim Brown, Ernie Davis, Floyd Little, Donovan McNabb. How have things gotten so bad so fast? That's the last time Syracuse was prominently featured on college game day. And based on the social media feeds of Jen Latta, her Twitter feed, it seems like this weekend there's going to be a college game day piece about the Syracuse Orange. About the Syracuse Orange and Dino Baber sitting at 4-0. So I say once again that this game tomorrow, this game tomorrow in Death Valley is, is an opportunity. It's a blank canvas. It's a... It's a way to reintroduce yourself to the college football nation and to do it on ABC. To do it in front of millions of people. It's a way to reintroduce yourself. Sure, the Virginia Tech win was a nice step in in the door and step in that direction. The Clemson win, yeah, you probably burst through the door. But you know what you didn't do after? You didn't follow it up with anything. Now you're 4-0. And you're going down to Clemson. And I'm not saying you need to win. I'm not saying you're going to win. But a representative performance could do a lot for your program. Just going out there and playing well, looking good, can do so much for this team. So much for this program. And yeah, maybe you'll come out of it at 4-1. and one. But you'll be back on the national relevance, back on the national conscience, consciousness, so to speak. You'll be in a place that you haven't been in so long. That's what's on the table with this game tomorrow. Fully believe that. Syracuse is getting recognition that it hasn't gotten in quite some time. And you've got to take advantage of it. You've got to keep pushing and got to keep breaking through these barriers to keep the positive momentum rolling. As I mentioned, 315-437-7644 is the number to call. Phone lines wide open in hour number one before we get to Steve Infante 
at the top of hour number two. And let's go to the phones now. We've got Mike in Cicero on the line. Hey, Mike, uh, good afternoon. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. What's on your mind? So I got a few quick points about everything. Now, I, I like what you said about the the winning relevancy, whatever. But I would say that if, if we are able to get back to a bowl game when, like you guys have said the last couple of weeks, seven, maybe eight games, from a Syracuse standpoint, that is that is winning. You know, and obviously I'm hoping that will continue moving forward. But I, I do think if we're able to get there, obviously it's not 10 – 10 wins, whatever, you know, a big bowl game, maybe not. But for Syracuse standards, I think that is certainly definitely a step in the right direction. Absolutely um, is, yes. I, I really think that, I mean, one, and, and you have kind of pointed at it, but even if we lose this game this weekend, if we go out and beat Pitt next weekend, when was the last time we've had an opportunity to get to a bowl game on October 20th before November? And we have a chance to do it at home. So if you were able to do that and maybe get some of those casual fans back in the dome, that could really spell really positive things for the remainder of the season. Um, so I'm hoping that happens. If, if we could get to a bowl game before the home game, fantastic. If we can win the next two, then, then that'd be amazing. And, and you'd certainly have everybody paying attention. We would probably most likely be ranked. You'd have a lot of fans coming back in the dome. So I'm hoping that'll happen, but even if not, if we can beat Pitt and, and at least win two of the next three, we could have a bowl berth by, you know, before the end of October, which is the first time I've seen that happen probably since McNabb. Um, and then there's two things that I kind of wanted to point out with Babers is that um, I noticed it during the Florida State game, and, you know, it takes some thinking, but since he's really come in, our conditioning has been absolutely fantastic because how many times have we played games that the other team has gone down because of cramping or other injuries? And we really haven't done that in the three years that he's been here. And I know that other injuries have happened, but the conditioning is just fantastic. And what he's really doing, he is using some of Schaefer's recruits still, but what he has been doing where Schaefer and possibly the other you know, previous staffs have lacked He's actually building depth because if you look at almost every position on the roster, probably except for linebacker, which we lost all of them last year, and the defensive line, he's really gotten that too deep and, and possibly even beyond. So if a player goes down, now you've got reliable backups and you don't have the fan base and, and the coaching staff and the players and everybody worrying as much if there is an injury or something does happen. You can just throw the next person in. And that's really what it takes to build a solid program, at least at least a stable program for years to come. Yeah, Mike, I'm, I'm with you. I, I agree with uh, just about everything you said there. Uh, the 7-8 wins thing, yeah, I've, I've been saying that too. I, I think that 7-8 wins this year is, is beyond a wild success, even with the 4-0 start that you've gotten off to. I wanted to hang on the second point a little bit here. Um, I just looked it up quickly um, in the in the media guide. 2011, they got their fifth win on October 21st. That was beating West Virginia. So they had a chance to get bowl eligibility starting on October 29th, and uh, we know they lost all their games left that year. They didn't make a bowl game. They went 5-7. and seven. Uh, 2010, I, I thought this was interesting. 2010, uh, they reached bowl eligibility on October 30th. So they have gotten to a bowl game, and I guess, uh, the what, three bowls ago? Yeah, pinstripe bowl. Texas Bowl. This was the first pinstripe bowl they went to. Uh, 
they reached bowl eligibility by the end of October. But to your larger point there, Mike, if they were to be able to... I'm not going to say if they win this game. If they go and they beat Pitt and they've got five wins coming back to the Dome on October 20th, what kind of a party should that be? Right? What kind of a crazed atmosphere should that be? Homecoming weekend, a chance to get to bowl eligibility, and a bad UNC team coming in with you at 5-1. and one. That should be wild. That should be fun. That should be a party atmosphere. And I don't know that that's something that we've seen here in quite some time when it comes to football. And I think that's really, really important for this program. I, I think, Mike, you hit it on the head. And the conditioning stuff, yeah. I mean, that's that's the ba- that's the backbone of his whole program, right? That, that's the backbone of the Dino Babers program is to, is to get you well-conditioned so that when the other team is running out of steam, you aren't, right? So that when the other team is cramping at the end of the game, you aren't, and you're doing all right. So I, I totally agree. They've built more depth. They've built a better team. They've done a better job putting this thing together than the previous coaches have uh, I'll say specifically with Schaefer. I think Marone had them more than on the right track and had them more than moving in the right direction and would have been very successful had he stayed here rather than go to the Bills. But uh, Dino Babers clearly has this team on a better track and has built this program in a better way than Scott Schaefer ever had. Um, I, I don't think that's debatable. Let's take our first time out. We'll come back. Uh, phone lines remain open. 315-437-7644. Text line 2880644. We're back after this. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Want to remind you that if you miss any of our shows here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, you can get caught up with our best of podcast that's on the block on demand with Brent Axe. 30 minutes in Orange Nation. That's this show. The Daniel Baldwin Show and In the Booth with Matt Park, all on ESPNSyracuse.com or subscribe on iTunes to get them delivered straight to your phone each and every day. Just search ESPN Syracuse to get those on iTunes and Google Play. And while you're on ESPNSyracuse.com, check out the Audio Vault too. We've done some really good stuff in this time slot uh, this week to get you ready for SU and Clemson. We had Joe Gorcho on earlier this week from WIS in Columbia, Grace Rayner from the Post and Courier down in South Carolina, Brian Higgins, uh, and also Todd Blackledge. Todd Blackledge is going to be calling the game for uh, ABC tomorrow afternoon with Sean McDonough. So make sure to check out the Audio Vault and get caught up with all those interviews before you go into that game tomorrow, and you could you know be ready, know what to expect. As, as we get things rolling down in Clemson, South Carolina. As mentioned, the phone lines remain open. If you want to call in, talk SU Clemson, uh, feel free, 315-437-7644. Text number 2880644. On Twitter, at Seth Goldberg 17 um, And also, you you could comment on our Facebook live feed. We, we've got that, so just watch at ESPN Syracuse on Facebook. Uh, you'll see our live videos. You can also, uh, after the fact, go and, and watch whatever you want, every show, uh, all archives, all two hours of our show, the Daniel Baldwin show each day in the booth with Matt Park. You can find them there and and each labeled and the whole deal. So go find them on ESPNSyracuse.com if you would like to watch the whole show back. Um, 
But I, I do want to move on to the NFL. I do want to talk about this Thursday night football game that we got last night that you heard here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. It was on ESPN AM 1200 uh, with the Mets on the FM. That was a game that was good enough to be a Sunday night football game, and we got it on a Thursday. That was like a treat, right? That was like getting dessert but before dinner. That was like having the, the ice cream sundae as an appetizer. Because that's probably the best game we're going to get this weekend. That game was phenomenal. That game was fun. That was two really good teams. That was, I think, the two best teams in the NFC battling it out with one another. And I said this on this show. The Rams are my pick to win the Super Bowl. I don't know who they're playing against, and I didn't make that pick preseason, but I think the Rams are winning the Super Bowl. And the Rams have done this right. These are two teams that are built in totally different and 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 a polar opposite ways. The Rams, I think, are doing this right. They've got a young quarterback. They've got a guy in year three, in Jared Goff. Year one, he was terrible. He was held back by an awful head coach who was running an archaic offensive system, and he looked terrible. And then they hire an offensive whiz kid. They hire Sean McVay. He, he's literally like the Doogie Hauser of, of NFL head coaches. He's like 32 years old. It's insane. He's younger than some of his players. But he comes in, he's just like an offensive genius. And he makes it click. And Jared Goff has a phenomenal year last year. And now early season, I think he's a front runner for the MVP. Probably along with Pat Mahomes. But Goff last night... Looked amazing. Goff looked flawless. He makes a throw, running to his right, throwing to his right, into the corner of the end zone, dropped just over the defensive back's hands, and right into the arms of Cooper Cup. It was a fantastic throw. It was a beautiful throw. I let out a little scream when I was on my couch, like an oh my god, to nobody in particular. I was sitting alone watching the football game. But, like, I, I screamed a little bit. It, it like, it, it made me, you know, jump watching that throw that he made. It was so impressive. And he looked so good. And the Rams, I think, have truly built this team the right way. I mentioned he's in his, year, his third year. He's on his third year of his rookie deal. His number, his cap number, and his salary number are still really suppressed and really far below uh, market value and what he would get if he were to hit free agency. So what the Rams do this year? The Rams went out and traded for Brandon Cooks, signed him to a big money extension. Signed Todd Gurley to a big money extension. Signed Aaron Donald to a big money extension. Went out and signed Indomitian Sue. Went out and signed Aqib Tlaib. Went out and traded for Marcus Peters. They went and made moves. They went and 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 supplemented this team and took all these pieces and took advantage of the low cap number from their quarterback, the most valuable position in all of sports. And they've got a bargain. It's what the Seahawks did when they won a Super Bowl. And as soon as they had to pay Russell Wilson, that whole thing fell apart. Right? That's exactly, you can draw a line in the sand. When did things start to fall apart? When the Seahawks had to pay Russell Wilson. That's how you build a team right now. And you got a four-year window. 
That's why I argue, play Baker Mayfield, play Sam Darnold, so that in case you're good by year two or three, you know. Right? You know what you got there. In case you're ready to go take that next step, then you can go supplement them. Let them get all the the garbage out of the way first, which is what happened with Jared Goff. He plays year one. He looks terrible. He was awful. And he was playing for an offense, for a coach who, who was stuck in... I don't know, 20 years ago, playing offense. Jeff Fisher's an awful NFL coach. If you're curious, Jeff Fisher's going to be on one of the broadcasts this weekend here in Syracuse that we get. I think it's on Fox. But Jeff Fisher will be the color analyst. I will be avoiding that game. I'll watch the Red Zone. I'll watch the Bills. Whatever it is. But Jared Goff took his lumps year one. Jared Goff looked terrible. He was throwing interceptions. He looked like he couldn't do anything. Looked like that was the wrong pick because Carson Wentz was lighting it up. Right? Carson Wentz was crushing him. But look at it now. Goff is a star. Goff is a stud. Finally got an offensive coach there. And now you supplement him with the pieces. You give him Brandon Cooks. You give him Robert Woods. You give him Todd Gurley. You put Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib and Ndamukong Sue on that defense along with Aaron Donald. And I know that Tlaib is out and, and on IR and they don't know when he's coming back. Or if he's coming back, really. But that defense is really good. That defense had allowed 36 points through three weeks of the season. And they allowed 31 yesterday. They allowed 31 yesterday, but they played probably the second best offensive team in their conference. Right? They played the Minnesota Vikings. It happens. And they still went out and got the win. They still went out and looked really good. Now, on the other side, you've got the Vikings, who built their team in the complete opposite way that the Rams did. The Rams had the quarterback first, had the quarterback cheap, and then went out and got everything else. The Vikings right now are paying their quarterback $84 million guaranteed over the next three years, and then they're piecing in everything else. They got a cheap running back in Dalvin Cook. Stefan Diggs is on a pretty good contract that they just signed him to. Kyle Rudolph on a pretty good contract that they just signed him to. And they're like figuring it all out, and they're piecing these guys together. But they're still a really good team. They're still, despite their record at 1 2 and 1. I believe they're the second best team in the NFC. I really do. And I think we could be we could be getting a rematch of this game later on down the road. That would be a whole lot of fun. And I heard this while listening to a podcast the other day. It was actually I was listening to it last night during the game, watching the game listening to a podcast. And I heard uh, Joe Tessator, Monday Night Football voice talking about the marquee games on their schedule coming up. And you know what they've got coming up in a couple of weeks? You know the game they've got coming up that Joe Tess has, uh, has circled on his, on his Monday night football schedule as he runs down the, uh, the, the roll? He's looking at Chiefs-Rams. He's looking at Chiefs versus Rams. How about that game? The two best teams in the NFL, the two best offenses, and as as uh, Dan Lebetard likes to say, the two offenses that look different. 
right? There's all this dink and dunk and and nothing and garbage. And then there's the Rams and the Chiefs who bomb the ball downfield and have fun and have quarterbacks who've got rocket arms. That's what I want to see. I can't wait for that game either. I didn't even realize it was on the schedule until I heard Joe Testator mention it last night. And I cannot wait for that game. That's a Super Bowl preview. Chiefs-Rams. That's a look at what we could get at the beginning of February. And we get it in a couple weeks. That game last night was such a treat. That game last night was the game of the NFL season thus far. And we got it on a Thursday night. We got it midweek. It it just whet my appetite for more football. It's getting me ready. I'm excited. I can't wait for the football weekend. We don't normally get that on Thursdays. We normally get Browns Jets. We normally get uh, Titans Jaguars. What kind of game was this? It's unbelievable. If this is what we get on Thursday night football from here on out on Fox, I am all on board. I love it. If they're just taking the best game they get on a given week and saying, forget Sunday, let's put it on Thursday. Give it to me. Give it to me. More of it. More of it. I love it. Thursday night football is going to be good? Yes, please. I hate Thursday night football, but if it's a good football game, give it to me. I'm all in. I'm all in on it. Let's take a timeout. We're going to wrap up hour number one after this here on ESPN Radio.